Well, it's really a privilege to be here with you this morning. I am excited to be part of this season of change for you all because this is an important church in our city. We pray for Central uh, often, and we're grateful to engage anytime we get an opportunity with the staff here and uh, for me to be invited to be a part of uh, your service this morning really is an honor, so thank you for uh, having me. I, uh, I remember hearing about uh, Central right after I became a Christ follower. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, I met a gentleman who actually went to this church. It's the only time I ever heard about a church in San Jose, California. I grew up in Humboldt County, so not too far away. But, uh, you know, I, I eventually moved to San Jose and come to find out Central just happens to be less than a half a mile from my house. I, I live right around the corner from Presentation High School and so today was like the shortest commute I've ever taken <laughs> to a church. This is awesome. It was awesome. But we are really grateful for Central and that you guys have uh, had a long history here in this city. God has used this church, and I believe God has intention to continue to use this church to reach many people in our city with the good news of Jesus Christ. So do the work, and God will be honored, and, uh, and you'll be used. Um, as I mentioned a moment ago that um, I grew up in Humboldt County, uh, I grew up in a pretty poor family. And uh, we lived on a farm, and we lived off the farm. And occasionally we would get some treats. Uh, it was pretty rare to actually get a treat. But one thing that would be a tradition in our home is every Valentine's Day, my mother would give us a heart-shaped box of chocolates. Now, nothing fancy, not, not, not the C's kind. I mean, we're talking about the Russell Stover's ones that you would, you know, get at Walgreens. But, um, but my mom did the best that she could. And we were told that you could have one piece of candy per day. And we knew that it was going to be monitored. And one day, one piece of candy just wasn't enough for me. So I ate a second piece. And... And not really thinking through my actions and the consequences thereof. As soon as it was discovered, I was called into the living room by my stepfather. And he asked me, did you eat another piece of candy? To which I said, no, I didn't eat it. My sister Tracy ate it. Now, I was about 11 years old at the time. And, and my sister Tracy it was about three And I knew that she had this aversion to punishment. And so when Tracy was called into the room, uh, my father said, did you eat one of Dan's candies? To which she said, no, I didn't. And he told her, if you lie to me, I'm going to spank you. And she said, no, I did not eat the candy. And he said, Tracy, tell the truth. Did you eat the candy? And she said, no. And my father began to spank her. Now, I had a dilemma on my hands. I could either tell the truth and then receive the spanking, probably in a much more um, harsh way, or I could just remain silent. And I did. I remained silent. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you are an awful, evil person. And that's true, I am. 
uh, as I tell this story, I, I still feel shame for what I did. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not really that much different than you, nor are you different from me. The only difference in that moment is I was actually witnessing the very harm my lie was causing someone else. Oftentimes when we lie about something, we don't see the impact that it might have on another person. But lying is like a boomerang. It, uh, it's, it's like a boomerang in two ways. First, when you lie to somebody, it's like an arrow. It comes straight at them. They can see it coming. And the Proverbs tells us that those who bear a false witness will not go unpunished. A liar will not escape. But it's like a, you know, it's like, like, a, like, it's a, it's like a boomerang, right? A lie is like a boomerang. When you throw it, it has a tendency to come back to you. And as soon as you're like, oh, uh, I got to throw it again. And uh, it comes back, and I got to throw it again. And every time we throw that boomerang, it just throws a string of another lie, of another lie, of another lie. And pretty soon, we get caught in the very web that we've created. But lying about somebody, it's like a boomerang as a weapon. When you throw a boomerang, it goes off in one direction and comes back through a different direction. And this is how the Aborigines actually used boomerangs to actually kill their prey. You see, when you lie about somebody, they never saw it coming. And it can hurt and damage in a very powerful way. In the next several weeks... You're going to be going through the Ten Commandments. Not all of them, and not all in the right order. You might be like, wait, you're starting with commandment number nine today. This is kind of weird. But I believe bearing false witness against a neighbor is really the essence of all other commandments being required. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But as we think about what it means to not bear false witness against our neighbor, as is commanded in the Ninth Commandment in Exodus chapter 20, We'll have to take a deep look at our own behavior and our own willingness to be truthful. So let's pray. Father, this could be a moment of truth for a moment that would be incredibly instructive in our lives. How we interact with, other, with one another, how we, uh, it can encourage one another, how we can build up a precious community rather than tear it down. May your word come to life in our hearts so that, one, it brings you glory, and two, it works for our good. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. When we bear false witness against our neighbor, it does two things. First, it does significant harm, as I just mentioned. But secondly, it actually destroys community. Like I just said, everybody lies. As you look to me, I already admitted to you that I lied. But I want you to look to the person to your right. Go ahead. Look to the person to your left. Look at all those people in front of you. Imagine all the people behind you. Guess what? They lie too. They do. Do you know that this past year, corporate fraud cost the U.S. economy almost a trillion dollars? 
The IRS reported in this past year, $450 billion was not collected by the federal government due to fraudulent tax returns and misreported income. This past year, Medicare claimed that 10% of their budget, $60 billion, was spent on fraudulent Medicare claims. When you watch TV or you're listening to the radio, do you believe all those advertisements that you see and hear? H.G. Wells once said that advertising is nothing more than legalized lying. And then you look at someone's Facebook page or you, you see the tweets that they put out or those wonderful pictures that are on Instagram. Is that really their life? I mean, it's the best of, perhaps, but it's not all of. And is that a form of lying? And of course, just in the last couple of years, we have this new terminology in our national culture called fake news. Everybody lies. Now, one last person to look at. Um, take a look at the person sitting in your seat right now. You lie. You do. Because, as Jim Carrey's character in Liar Liar says, Molly lies, everybody lies, even the great Jerry lies. You have to watch the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, it, it, it's, it's something that we are all not only familiar with, but we're a part of. You see, the fear of saying something stupid or looking bad or offending someone or being intimidated, all these things have a way of making us not tell the truth. So just to, to make the point here, let's, let's um, by a show of hands, this is a little fun thing we're going to do. Show of hands. And remember, everybody has to participate. And it's a message about telling the truth. All right, so um, how many of you have done this? I, I, I refer to it as the lazy juke. You know, you're at your work, and you're supposed to be working, but you're not. You're doing something else. Uh, it's not work-related. Or you're at home, and you're supposed to be getting chores done, but you're watching Netflix. And then all of a sudden, somebody walks into your office, or they show up at your house unexpectedly, and then you start up, You look like you're really busy. You're like, I'm really working hard. Or, I'm, I'm getting this done. Right? How many of you have done that? Yeah. <laughs> I've done that. We all do that. Come on. Let's be honest. How about this one? Um, you're in a group of people, and you're talking about a particular subject or a, a book that was read, and, and they're like, hey, you've read the book, right? And you're like, yeah, I've read the book, when you really haven't, or you talk, like, act like you know about the subject when you really don't know anything about it. How many of you have done that? Okay, come on, yeah, yeah, I, I've done that. I do it a lot, actually, because <laughs> I need to sound like I know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so here's my favorite. How about you? How many of you have been in traffic? No, I know you've all been in traffic, but how many of you have been in traffic and um, you're trying to get someplace and you really are, you know, this traffic's annoying and all of a sudden there's this car that pulls up to the side of you and they need to be let in and, and you know they're there, but you're like, I'm not, I'm not looking over. Uh, 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 nope. Because if I look over, then I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to let you in. And, and I, I, I mean, this, getting there an extra four seconds faster is really important to me right now. So get your own darn lane, right? How many of you have done that? Oh, you guys are awful people. I mean, I've, no, I, I do that also. Lying 
and presenting ourselves in such a way that it doesn't look like we're lying is so easy to do. Pamela Meyer wrote a book called Lie Spotters, which kind of is a science behind seeing how people lie and knowing the nuances about when they are actually lying. Says that the average person is hit somewhere between 10 to 200 lies per day. That's quite a range, don't you think? I mean, some days just a mild breeze of lies, and sometimes it's hurricane force winds of lies, you know, <laughs> 10 to 200. She also said that when strangers meet, on average, three lies are exchanged within the first 10 minutes. Now, you just had a greeting time a moment ago. You might have met someone that you met for the first time. And you, you might have, the 10 minutes was way too much time, but you might have gotten one in the three minutes that you talked together. Just kidding. But here's one thing that's serious. She says that married couples lie to each other 10 times once in every 10 interactions. Once in every 10 interactions. Now, that's probably going to cause some interesting conversations at lunch today if you're married. But what this commandment is about is not actually just lying. It's about bearing false witness against another person. It's about making an accusation about them. Um, any of you don't know who Coco the gorilla is? Coco the gorilla? Anybody know Coco? So Coco the gorilla, she lived to be like 43 years old. She just passed away a couple months ago. And she was at a, an animal preserve up in Woodside, California. And what Coco the gorilla was known for was having the ability to use sign language to talk with her trainers. She had a known vocabulary of about a thousand words. And uh, this is pretty incredible. I mean, she could actually hold a conversation. But what Coco was also known for was having a love for cats. She had about five or six cats as pets during her lifetime. And uh, I don't know what happened to Coco one day, but it was obviously a pretty rough day. Uh, something was going on to the point where she took the sink that was in her living quarters and ripped it off the wall and threw it on the ground. And when her trainers came to check in on Coco, they asked her, Coco, what happened? And she signed back, the cat did it. <laughs> it's a true story. I thought lying was human nature, but apparently it's just in nature. So what, what do innocent people, or cats for that matter, who have the long finger of accusation pointed in their direction, and it's not true, what do they do? Where do they go for justice? Well, the answer is to the known, recognized, and accepted authority. Right? We learned this very early on. When you're a child and you are having a problem with your brother or your sister, where do you go? You go to mom or dad. Right? They're the known authority. If you're in school, the classmate's giving you a hard time. You go to the teacher. You go to the principal. If you're at work, even as adults, you're not getting along with someone at work and it's not right, you might go to your boss. You might go to HR. We go to the known place of authority. Now, keep in mind, the Ten Commandments were given to a group of people who had no rights. 
who had no status in society. They were slaves in Egypt. And now they're this massive group of people wandering through the desert. And there were problems. There were constant problems with having upwards to a million people in camps traveling from one place to the next. So God said, I'm going to give a set of rules, a set of ways of behaving that is helpful for the community. We knew this had to happen. I mean, Moses, if we look back, you know, the Ten Commandments is in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus. Go to chapter 18. We find that Moses, in the beginning of the day, in the very early morning, would sit in a chair and he would listen to disputes all day long, well into the night. He did this every day. And his father-in-law saw this and said, uh, hey, Moses, this isn't good. You need to appoint some people to kind of deal with the small little things and then people with a little bit bigger things. And then eventually all the really important things should trickle up to you. But if you keep doing this, it's going to wear you out. Not only is it going to wear out everybody because there's just no way that you can manage all of this, these disputes, all of these things that needed to be judged. So we find that this is the beginning of something that we find often in the ancient world, that judgment often happened at the city gates, the place where people would come and go. In fact, the city gates in, ancient, in the ancient world were so important, it's where news was delivered. There'd be a town crier or a city crier that would basically talk about all the current affairs and the events of the day. There, this is a place that you could buy and sell goods. This is where commerce was, was uh, gauged. This is where judgments were, were, were given when the elders of the city would sit at the city gates and people would bring their disputes. And that's where justice was ha- would be had. Now, in our culture today, we have courts, Right? And it's a very complicated system. But we still have gates where people are still judged. We have the house gate. We have the work gate. We have the church gate. We have the social media gate, which seems to be a very popular one these days, where people are judged without an opportunity for them to actually get justice. So the idea of bearing false witness against another person is something that actually goes to the very heart of what we are trying to deal with in our society today. It's so prevalent in all of our, uh, of all of our existence that it goes back to the very fall itself. It goes all the way back to the garden. As I mentioned, all of the commandments that were given really are the byproduct of the fall that started with a lie. Satan, the enemy of our soul, the deceiver, is talking with Eve in the garden, paradise, where everything is perfect. And he's asking about the garden. What about these trees? Isn't this beautiful? And, and Eve's saying, yes, it's very beautiful. It's, uh, we can eat of all of the trees in this garden except for that one. And Satan's like, what do you mean, that one? What happens if you eat of that one? She says, well, God says that we will die. And Satan says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you, then you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. In this statement by Satan, there's an outright lie, there's a white lie, and there's truth. First, the outright lie is, you won't die. 
Oh, they will. The white lie is you will be like God. Now, God had declared earlier at creation that when he makes man, men and women, in his image, we become in his likeness. It's what was referred to as the imago Dei. We become in the image of God. And this is something that is so natural. It's something that is common that we can actually, in nature, still see today. We become like God only in essence, in image. But we're not God. We can't do the things that God does. So it's a little white lie. And then there's truth. Uh, You will know the difference between good and evil. God acknowledges that and says we need to put them outside the garden for their own sake so that there could be hope for a restoration that comes much later in Christ. We are image bearers of our Father who created us. And it's so easy to see that this this is seen all around us. We, as children, often bear the image of our parents, right? I mean, take a look at this photograph. This is Mamie Gummer, and she's with her mom, Meryl Streep. Do you think they look alike? How about Colin Hanks and his dad, Tom? And this is my favorite, being a Warriors fan. Steph and Riley Curley, Curry. I mean, wow. We look like our folks. We should look like our Father in His likeness, the Imago Dei. It's so important that God sent Jesus, His Son, to show us the way. Unfortunately, it was a lie, a false witness against Christ that sent him to the cross. And standing before Pilate, Pilate says, Are you a king? They say you're a king. Are you a king? Jesus says, You say that I am. And Jesus says, Well, this, this is why I am here. This is my purpose, that I was born in this world. I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. Witness to the truth. Paul, the apostle, talks about this in the book of Titus in such a way that in his purpose, it was Paul's responsibility to impart truth by helping God's people live godly lives, saying, and this is chapter 1, verse 2, this truth gives them, those people, confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. Interesting here, the Greek word for a God who does not lie is only used in this space, in this place in the New Testament. It's the Greek word astudes, and it's only used for God. A God who cannot lie. God astudes. All other words used in the Greek New Testament for lying is pseudomai. But this the very word astudes means cannot be false. Cannot be false. In other words, can only be true. So think of it this way. If God is truth and we are his image bearers, we must bear truth. If God is truth and we're his image bearers, then we must bear truth. 
Paul says it like this in Ephesians, that we are to put off the old self, which is corrupted with deceitful desires, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then, therefore, having put off all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to your neighbor, for we are members of one another. You see, our witness, our testimony towards our neighbor directly affects our community. We see the greatest example of this right at the beginning of the church. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on God's people, and this incredible community is formed, known as the early church. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the, 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 the church do stuff that's never been seen before in all of human history. They come together they, daily. They worship weekly. They are giving um, themselves to the apostles' teaching and to breaking of bread and fellowship and prayer. And the entire city of Jerusalem is looking on in awe of what God is doing. Oftentimes we say, boy, wouldn't it be great if we just go back to the early church, be like the first church? Yeah, it would be great because it was, it was like the garden. It was perfect. Chapter 3, we see the apostles defending their faith. Chapter 4, they're going crazy. Now they're selling all their possessions and they're giving to others who have need. And the entire community is of one accord, of one mind, of one manner. It's a healthy, vibrant community. And then comes chapter 5. Caught up in this idea of selling possessions and giving to others, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they sell some possessions and they bring it to the apostles. And Peter says, is this all of what you got? Yep, that's all. That's all that we made. But they actually held some of the proceeds back. And, and Peter says, it was yours to give. Why, why did you lie? You lied to the Holy Spirit. And because of that, it's going to cost you your life. And from that moment on, that lie destroyed the community. We see in chapter 6, racial tensions between the Greek widows and, and those in, in power with the food distribution uh, come at odds, and it requires them to have to rethink about how they deal with community because there were some in the community that were, were going without and some that had plenty. And then in chapter 7, we see persecution enter in by this man named Saul, and Stephen is stoned, and the church is scattered. You see, when we lie, it destroys community. Lying destroys community from within because it sows seeds of mistrust and disunity. But there's another important thing to understand here. Lying repulses community for all those who are on the outside. You know, if someone's not part of our Christian community, and they look at why, the way we're behaving, sometimes it repulses them. How many of you have been talking with someone and invited them to church or talked about your faith, and they're like, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to be a part of a church. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. You know, they say one thing, but they, they do another thing, and, you know, they're always about telling you what they're against and not, you know, what they're for. It, just, it repulses those who are on the outside towards intentional, vibrant community. Brennan Manning said this, 
The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So how do we do this? If you know that I lie, and you know everyone lies, and if you know for the very fact that you lie, as followers of Jesus, as image bearers of God, as members of Christ's community, how do we do this? Well, again, Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says, we then, instead, should speak the truth in love. Then we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. We must speak the truth in love. And as I was thinking about this in preparation for this message, I I really wrestled. In in this world that we live in today, in this PC polarized left to right, uh, vitriolic society that we find ourselves in today, is it even possible to speak truth in love? And I I don't know. I, I don't know if it's possible, but I do know this. As followers of Jesus, it's not just possible, it's essential. We must speak truth and love. If we don't, our community is seriously in danger. Ed Catmull, who is the um, CEO of Pixar Films, recognized that in the workplace, people don't like to admit that they're less than truthful in relationships. But they might be more willing to acknowledge that they don't exercise proper candor. That people, when they recognize that they're probably not as forthcoming as they, as they should be or are, then they can actually deal with the issues. But there's a book called Radical Candor, which does a great job of explaining what it means to speak truth in love. Imagine two access points. One going out, one going up. One that goes out represents truth. The one going up is love. In other words, to be able to love is to care personally, but to be able to tell truth is to challenge directly. Think about that. Care personally, challenge directly. But, you know, we have these people in our lives that they're all about truth. They're nothing but truth. And sometimes when you're just all about truth, it could come across less caring. You know, you have that uncle, right? That just is always in your face telling you what's right. It gets a little annoying after a while. Those who are all about truth, we like to refer to those people as being obnoxiously aggressive. Obnoxiously aggressive. But then there are those who are just all about love and no truth, right? Parents, we become, we become susceptible to this. We don't want to hurt our children. And so you, you go ahead and have that other piece of candy. It's okay. I love you. I want you, to, I want you to be friends and everything. But, you know, we don't challenge directly. You keep eating that candy, your teeth are going to rot out of your head. You're not going to have a proper nutrition and diet that's going to help you grow healthy. But then, so you got people who are obnoxiously aggressive. You have people who are um, basically giving what we refer to as ruinous empathy for those who are all love and no truth. But then there's that other category of people who are, they're not... Loving, they're not truthful. They are in this other quadrant that is known as um, 
manipulative insincerity. Now, uh, we know a whole group of society who are manipulatively insincere. We call them attorneys. <laughs> These are people that have no, they, they don't care about you. They don't, they're not going to tell the truth. They don't love you. They're in it for themselves. And manipulative, insincere people come in contact with us all the time. And we must not be that if we truly say we love one another and we care about each other. But if we can get the love right by challenging directly, and if we can get, I mean, the, the truth right by challenging directly, if we can get the love right by, by caring personally, then we will be exercising radical candor. Radical candor, which makes us better. I know that someday I'm going to stand before God in his presence. And my nature will come in direct contact with his nature. And I will stand exposed for all that I am. And not just me, but you too. Why is this important that we get this right right now? Again, Paul says it. In Ephesians, so it's that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. If we're going to, if we're going to stand, let's stand together. If we're going to be truthful, let's be truthful together, because it impacts the very moment that we stand in God's presence. Psalm 15 says this: Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right. Speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promise even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and those who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever. Who may stand in God's presence? Those who lead blameless lives, speak truth from sincere hearts, and who refused to harm their neighbor even if it hurts. And those who do this We'll be able to stand firm forever. As I stood there watching my sister take the beating for the very thing that I had done, my father began to spank her harder and harder and harder until finally she confessed, I did it! I ate the candy! I did it! I have thought of this moment in my life on occasion as an adult, and I would think to myself, you know, I, I should probably talk to my sister about that. She probably don't remember it, but I do, and I just need to get this right. But, you know, there's never really an easy or, you know, the right time for that. And so I was just like, well, whenever, whenever it's just, you know, 
kind of can be a natural conversation, but it never really was. And then last year, my sister Tracy passed away unexpectedly. I will never have the chance to make that right. And because of that, I don't stand as firmly as I do knowing that I could have, had I. However, my sister Tracy, as a three-year-old child, gave me one of the greatest gifts of being able to see the, the nature of God through the work of Christ. You see, I was the one who took. I was the one who caused pain. I lied. I sinned. Yet she took the punishment when she didn't do it. And like you and me, when it comes to how we live our lives, we take, we lie, we sin, and yet it was Christ who did not took our punishment so that we could escape the harm. My challenge this morning for us is that there may be somebody in our lives, there may be some things that we've done or that we're doing that we gotta get right because you don't know how much time you have. But we should be people of truth, bearing the image of God, reflecting the very nature of a God who cannot be false. There may be somebody who has been, right now, I gotta go talk to this person. Don't wait, don't delay. The time is now for us to really be transformed into the people that God wants us to be, who look like him, who people would say, I know who their dad is. I recognize their father in them. Let us be those people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the challenge of being truthful always, even if it hurts us, is something that we must wrestle with and be true representations of, of your work in our lives. You, you bore it all. And for us to do what is right and to be truthful, even if it hurts is nothing compared to what you did on the cross. So may we be people who follow in the footsteps of Jesus in order that if we say that we have no sin, then we're just deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, we know, God, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we seek you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.